All right, so we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 19 tonight. Uh, last time we saw fin uh, Paul finish up his second missionary journey, uh, and he went straight into his third one. At the end of his second trip, he went through Berea, and he preached to those in Athens, and he stayed in Corinth for a while, and uh, he briefly passed through Ephesus, and they asked him to stay, but he couldn't, and he uh, promised to come back. And also Priscilla and Aquila came alongside Apollos, and they taught him more about Jesus, and uh, he knew that Apollos knew the things about John's baptism that he was preaching, but he didn't know that Jesus actually came and died and was buried and rose again. So those are the things they explained to him. So I'll go ahead and open, I'll go ahead and pray once more before we jump into 19 here. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and I pray that uh, you just speak to us through it now. I pray that you would. Just empty me of myself, Lord, and you let your words be spoken through me and not my own, Lord God. And I pray that you would just minister to our hearts now. In your name I pray. Amen. So in Acts 19, in verse 1, it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. So it sounds like these uh, disciples that Paul ran into were either some of those who heard Apollos before he uh, had complete understanding of the gospel, or else they were in Jerusalem when John was baptizing people. So they knew about John's baptism, but nothing after that. And uh, they didn't know about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of sad when you run into those Christians who believe uh, in God, but they don't really have that living relationship with him. Um, I met one person, and when I found out uh, they were a Christian, and we were talking about that, all they really had to say was that their church attendance needed to grow. It's like to them, Christianity was just another social group. But uh, when I meet Christians like that, I have a desire to tell them everything I've learned about God. And I want them to get excited and to hunger and thirst for God. And it's so amazing that we have access to the creator of the universe. And uh, God lets us come close to him. And we're foolish if we choose not to. So in verse 4 it goes on, Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And so Paul explains to them that John's baptism that they received was pointing to Jesus Christ. So these disciples encountered God here and they were changed. Now they know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And it's kind of interesting that there were 12 of them. In verse 8 it goes on, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. 
So Paul gets to preach in this synagogue for three months. It's the longest he was able to ever do that before without a riot breaking out. So this is like a personal record for him. And uh, maybe that's why he kept going back for so long. He was kind of waiting for that riot. But finally he decided when they weren't listening that it was time to leave the synagogue there. When he realized they weren't going to change. And it's important for us to reach out to people and to try to be witnesses of Christ to those who don't know him. An example of Christ to those who do know him. But there can come a time when you realize that they aren't going to change. And at that point it's better to move on to someone who does want to change. And I had a friend in Bible college who would always came to me with his problems. And uh, he talked for hours at a time. And I was okay with that. But he would never listen to my advice, though. He'd never do what I said the biblical thing to do would be. And so I wasn't helping him, and it was cutting into my homework time, and it got to the point where I just had to tell him uh, I couldn't listen to him anymore if he wasn't going to change. And so it's tough to do that to people, but it's for the best. And then look at what happened with Paul when he did move on. He was able to teach those disciples, and uh, the disciples who really wanted to learn for two whole years, and all of Asia ended up hearing the word of the Lord Jesus. So that's pretty amazing. And the Bible Knowledge Commentary says that the school of Tyrannus was probably a school building that was open free of charge from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., because that's when people would normally have their lunch break and take a nap. And uh, it seems like God worked it all out for him there. He gave him a building to meet in. And two years is a long time to be able to disciple people. If you remember, the apostles were only with Jesus for three years of his earthly ministry. So this is a good chance that uh, Paul gets to disciple these guys. On to verse 11 it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And so this is uh, an interesting couple of verses here. All of a sudden, people are getting healed in these weird ways. And something to notice here is that it was God who was working these miracles. It wasn't Paul. And it says that they were unusual miracles. So just because God did it through Paul doesn't mean he'll do it through us. So I wouldn't recommend starting to send your handkerchiefs to your friends and family so that they'll be healed. But... Uh, there are those churches out there, though, that do these kind of things. They send out weird everyday items, and they say they've been blessed items, and that if you use them, then you'll be blessed too. And uh, they always end up asking for money in the end, though. And uh, it kind of makes me mad. But the handkerchiefs that went out from Paul were actually sweat rags, I think, by the commentary I looked at. And so it shows kind of that Paul was really working for the gospel, to share the gospel here. You know, if he was meeting in that building from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., that would have been the heat of the day. That's why everyone was taking naps, because it would be so hot out. And they didn't have the air conditioning or the fans back then. And so there are those people who will work hard for the gospel, and there are those other people who will just try to sell the gospel, and they aren't really breaking a sweat. They just try to take advantage of people, and what they're doing is shameful. So that kind of leads into what this next verse is too, though. It says in 1913 here, it says... Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. 
So uh, these Jewish men here who are exercising people in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, is kind of like saying, freeze, police, but I don't really have a gun, it's just my hand, and I haven't been commissioned by a police, uh, off a police department, so I'm not really a police officer, so if I tell you to freeze, you're probably not going to freeze because I don't have the authority. And that's kind of what it's like for these here uh, itinerant Jewish people who are using the name of Jesus that Paul serves. It's like they have nothing to do with it, really. And uh, you'll notice that it says they took it upon themselves. There's a big difference between God sending us to do something and us taking something upon ourselves. Uh, did you ever try to walk on water like Peter did? Maybe you saw like a puddle and you decided you'd try, try it out and see if you could walk on the puddle at least. But uh, if you ever wonder why you can't walk on the water, it's because Peter was called out of the boat by Jesus. That's why he was able to walk on the water. And so these Jewish men here are doing something they weren't called to do. In verse 14 it goes on, Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And that's where the world will leave you. It'll leave you naked and wounded, ashamed and injured. And they may have been trying to help other people, but they really needed help themselves. Or maybe they were just trying to make a profit off of this. But uh, I think that'll kind of be the end of those people, like we were talking about in verse 12, the people who try to peddle the gospel for money. That's kind of where they'll end up too. In the end, they'll be ashamed and injured by it. On to verse 17 it says, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So as a result of what these Jews were doing, when they were, uh, when they were doing what they weren't called to do, they got beat up. As a result, the name of Jesus was magnified, and people repented and confessed. And uh, they burned their magic books, and the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So these people realized how serious these things are that they were messing with. And they realized that... Uh, you know, they must have had these magic books because they thought, must have thought it would give them some kind of power. But uh, when they saw the power that God has and that he cares for them, they must have realized that they don't need their magic books anymore. And I think that's why they burned them. But uh, these books were expensive, and, uh, but that didn't matter because it didn't compare what Christ had to offer. And uh, do you guys know how much 50,000 pieces of silver would be worth today? I don't know either, I thought I'd ask, but uh, I do know this though, uh, Judas would have had to betray Jesus 1,666 times to make that much money, so I kind of might put it in perspective for you. So they burn these books that were worthless to them now, and it's scary how many uh, demonic things have infiltrated America. Uh, there's a series on YouTube called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll where a pastor talks about some of the ways that it came into America. 
And uh, these Satanists, they set up the Church of Satan and wrote the Satanic Bible. And there's a lot of Satanic movies and music and books. But it can be intimidating to think about. But we need to remember what verse 20 says. It says, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So even though we have all these demonic influences in our culture, it's not something we need to worry about because we know that God's in control and that he's much more powerful. And uh, people need to hear about him so that they can come to him and realize him and burn the worthless things that they spent so much on. So on to verse 21 now. It says, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He also he called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So as the gospel spreads, it stirs up some of these evil plotters here. And uh, the first thing the man says is that idolatry has brought him profit. So it kind of shows us what the bottom line is for him, what his motivation is in all this. But uh, the second thing he says is that the gospel has spread through all Asia and people are turning away from their idolatry. And that's a pretty awesome statement. They thought it was bad, but it's great news to us. And the last thing he says there kind of makes me laugh. He's kind of, I picture him kind of pouting and he says, Paul says that if we make these statues ourselves, they can't be gods. You know, he was upset that that's what Paul was saying, but it, uh, the statement is kind of de- defeats itself though. If you make this little statue by your own hands, how can, it, how can you claim that it has these powers? And it's also kind of interesting, you know, it said that Paul sent the other two ahead of him to the next place. It almost sounds like he was waiting for one argument. He wanted one argument or commotion before he left, it sounds like. But uh, on verse 27 it goes on, So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So again, they're saying that it's all about the money, and poor Diana might be offended. That's what their argument is. And if you look back at Judges chapter 6, verse 28, I think it kind of describes the scenario here pretty well. Judges 6, verse 28 through 31 is what we'll look at. And it says, And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bowl was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon the son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. 
But Joash said to all, the, all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by mourning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore on that day they called him Jeroboam, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. And so there, uh, Gideon's dad was telling them that uh, if your false god is really upset, let him uh, stand up for himself and defend himself. And that's kind of a good response to these people. If this idol, if this goddess Diana that you serve is so powerful, let her defend herself. And uh, the people in Acts here think they have to stand up and fight for their idol. Because obviously it can't fight for itself. And so if an idol, if a god can't fight for itself, what good is it? And how powerful is it? And we know that God fights his own battles. I also want to look at Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19.11 says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the king of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image." These two were cast alive into the lake of burning, lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So in this scene here, it sounds like uh, God's coming to make his uh, final war here, and he has a host of heaven with him, but uh, it sounds like he does all the killing himself here, and he calls all the birds there just so they'll have something to eat. And so it kind of shows you how powerful God is to fight his own battles. But this mob in Acts uh, feels like they have to march and say, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So there's a really big contrast there. In verse 29 it goes on, So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then uh, some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews push it, putting him forward and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. 
But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So this mob is very confused. A lot of them don't even know why they're there. It says they're not even shouting the same thing. They kind of just saw a mob and decided to join in. And uh, they didn't get the person they were really after anyways. They didn't get Paul. They got his two travel companions. And uh, Paul wanted to go into the midst of them probably to share the gospel. But the, the rest wouldn't let him because of the danger there. And they yelled their chant for two hours. And you can kind of imagine the headache you would get after listening to a big crowd just yell these few words for over and over again for two hours. In verse 35 it goes on, And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since all these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly, for you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So this man dismisses the crowd after two hours of this chanting, and nothing's really accomplished here. It was just a waste of everybody's time, and they could have gotten in trouble with the Roman overlords for causing an uproar like that. But uh, God did protect his saints through this, though. And that guy just made like a very simple, logical argument saying, you don't have a real case here, you should just let them go. So you, God used that to protect them. On to chapter 20 here it says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. So that's the riot he was waiting for. Now we can move on to Macedonia. In verse 2 it goes on, Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So Paul gets to encourage these Christians as he travels, and it's important for us to encourage one another. And he was able to travel with a good-sized group here, which must have been an encouragement to him. It sounds like there's a lot of times where he's just traveling by himself on these trips. And uh, it sounds kind of like Luke is joining him again here, because he starts talking in the first person again, saying in verse 5, uh, These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi. So it sounds kind of like uh, Luke ran into Paul here. So in verse 7 it goes on, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man 
named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So Paul was speaking his long message here as he's getting ready to go. And uh, I heard someone say that uh, all those lamps they had up there and all the people in the room and Paul's preaching, it sounds like they kind of sucked up all the oxygen in the room. And so this kid really wanted some fresh air and probably got a nice seat in the window where there's a breeze coming in. And uh, he just, it sounds like the perfect storm for him to fall asleep there. But um, that's why we keep our windows locked here so you don't fall asleep while I'm talking but, and fall out. But uh, this guy dozed off and fell out the window. And uh, we're going to see it's not going to end badly. But uh, did you guys ever notice that sometimes bad things happen when people fall asleep in the Bible? This guy dozed off and fell out the window. The disciples fell asleep in the garden and Jesus was arrested. Adam fell asleep and woke up with a wife. I was just kidding on that last one. So um, he falls out the window and... uh, gets really uh, injured here it says he was taken up dead so it was fatal in verse 10 it goes on but Paul went down fell on him and embraced him said do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him now when he had come up had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while even till daybreak he departed and they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted So the man was brought back to life again. He was probably a little embarrassed, but the people were very comforted. And Paul pulled an all-nighter with these people. Even after that, it said he stayed till sunrise. And so it shows how much he cared for them. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, people, you know, where if they were, knew they would be traveling the next day, especially if they had to travel like Paul did, where they had to get on a boat or something or travel with a caravan. They probably wouldn't have stayed up all night talking to these people. They probably would have said, I'm going to bed. I need to start early tomorrow. But it shows you how much Paul cared for these people that he stayed up and pulled an all-nighter with them. In verse 13, it goes on. Then he went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he had met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Melite, uh, Mytilene, We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at uh, Trigalium. The next day, we came to Melitos, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, So let's see here. It looks like Paul was trying to keep up with his schedule here. It's kind of funny that he had to pass up Ephesus to keep on track. Maybe uh, they wanted him to stay again because the first time he went through, they wanted him to stay. The second time he went through, he stayed there for three years. Uh, Maybe he still was wanted by that mob of Diana as well, so maybe he was still avoiding them. But for whatever reason, he had to pass up Ephesus, but he gets to meet with some of those people still. And I'm guessing he probably wanted to get to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, not just to celebrate there, but... There's probably a lot of people that he only gets to meet on those certain Jewish holidays, probably, when they all come together in Jerusalem, I'm guessing. So on to verse 17 it goes, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. 
serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, look at the way that Paul describes his ministry to the Ephesians here. Uh, First, it says it was a service to the Lord in all humility, in verse 19 there. And so if we're exercising the gifts that God gave us, but we forget that we're ministering to others, uh, if we forget that ministry to others is a service to God, it's really easy to get burned out pretty fast. Uh, The second thing he mentions, he said that ministry needs to be done in humility. And Andrew Murray wrote a whole book on humility, so it's like a big subject we could talk about. But uh, we need to say, to summarize it, we need to say what John the Baptist said in John 3.30. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And Paul talks about humility in 2 Corinthians 12, if you want to turn there real quick. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Uh, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that kind of shows us why uh, humility is important in the Christian walk. When we uh, realize our own inefficiencies, it allows us to experience God's sufficiency. And so... um, It's really almost impossible to do ministry without humility like that. Effective ministry, anyway. The third thing Paul mentions here is uh, he's uh, he's ministering happened through tears and trials. It seems kind of like you can't serve God without trials, but those trials keep us humble. Like he was saying, there's a thorn in his flesh in that Corinthians passage. Uh, Pride will make us rigid and unusable. But these trials that make us humble and relying on God, uh, when we realize our weakness there, that's when God can show himself strong on our behalf. Um, A fourth thing was that Paul kept nothing back from them that was helpful. It's okay to keep back things that are harmful, and it can be hard not to keep back everything that's good. You know, you can kind of think of some practical examples of that, you know, but uh, it shows... Paul's maturity is kind of like he's a parent. He has that parent-like love for these people. He's keeping back things that are harmful for them, but he's giving everything to them that's good. Another thing, a fifth thing we see is that uh, Paul's ministry was to everyone. He preached in public. He spoke to house to house. He spoke to Jews. He spoke to Greeks. It almost sounds like that Green Eggs and Ham book. Uh, But Paul had that heart of God that wants to see everyone have repentance and faith. So those are things we can live by there. And uh, I want to strive to minister like Paul. Even though I don't have those same gifts he does, I want to have that same heart and determination and humility that he had. In verse 22 it goes on, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul feels compelled to go to Jerusalem, but he knows that he'll be arrested there. But he doesn't care. Why? Because none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so it's hard not to be moved by such scary things, you know. It's hard to go to some place knowing you'll be arrested and not knowing what awaits you there. But, uh, and it can be hard not to count your life dear to yourself, but it's necessary to, in order to finish the race with joy. You might be able to finish the race while holding on to your life, but it won't be in joy. It'll be in heavy-heartedness and bitterness. And Paul wanted to finish his race with joy, and he wanted to finish his ministry. And if you look at that uh, end of that verse, he's saying, so that it'll be a testimony to the gospel of the grace of God. If he's able to do these things, then it shows the amazing love and the saving grace of Jesus that allowed him to do these things. And so uh, we can't really count our lives dear to ourselves if we really want to minister to God, if we really want to run this race with joy. In verse 25 it goes on, And indeed now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver. Oh, I think I went too far here. Uh, so Paul is kind of worried about these believers. Uh, he's saying that they're going to be attacked from without and from within. He's saying even people in their congregation are going to rise up and try to lead them astray. And the devil's always trying to attack our faith. Paul tells them to keep watch over the people as a shepherd would watch over the sheep. And he uh, tells them the value of the sheep. He, says, he described in verse 28... Uh, shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood he's saying how important it is that they protect them it's what God bought with his own blood in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 and 9 it kind of tells us again how to be uh, watching out for the devil there in 1 Peter 5 8 and 9 it says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So the answer to that, uh, the answer to defending yourself against the devil is to just resist him. And James says the same thing in James 4, 7. He says, 
Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And also in Hebrews uh, 2 1, there's another good verse for holding on to your faith. Hebrews 2 1 says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. And so we don't need to keep looking for new knowledge. We need to pay more attention to the things God has already told us in his word. That's our anchor. That's how we're going to keep from drifting away. In verse 32, it goes on. uh, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul isn't going to worry about these believers. He's going to commend them to God. He's going to leave them in God's hands. And he said that the word of God is able to build them up and give them an inheritance. And so Paul knows that that God's going to take care of these believers and he doesn't need to worry about them. In verse 33 he goes on, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he had said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it's interesting because that was talked about in uh, the morning service here. We were talking about uh, how Saul was kind of a taker, but David was a giver. And it reminded me of this because I had been studying it. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And uh, we were talking about those false teachers earlier tonight. How they were just peddling the gospel for money. But Paul's saying, you know, I didn't do that because I was working for my own money. So you guys didn't have to pay me or feed me or anything. In verse 36, he goes on. Um, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. So this is a pretty uh, touching moment here. It's hard to say goodbye to people you've grown close to over a period of years like that, but uh, it's important to remember that we'll see our Christian brothers and sisters again in heaven. And it must have been really touching for them. You know, they knew that they'd never see Paul's face again. And so we pretty much covered uh, Paul's third journey here. He spent three years in Ephesus, While it was an open door, and he was able to revisit a lot of the churches and encourage them. But uh, he was determined to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome, even though chains awaited him there. And the best is yet to come. I wanted to real quick uh, read through Ephesians while we're here. You know, it was such a touching thing for Paul to leave them, and he just spent three years with them. I didn't want to spend too long in it, just kind of read through it real quick. But... uh, He wrote Ephesians while he was in prison, just like he kind of knew would happen. And so I thought it'd be a really good context here. I don't know my Bible very well. I can't find any of these books tonight. (laughs) All right, Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, 
according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that he, we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him also you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace." and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. 
Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also uh, you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power." To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, 
but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he might have something to give him who has need." Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is in idolatry has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are, uh, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is in the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, 
that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but with but from but uh, as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all. Would be grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So we, uh, I was able to see a few things there that kind of related to what we looked at tonight as we read through it real quick. He packed it with so much information there to all the beloved brothers he had to leave behind there who he would never see again. And uh, it was just a really good letter, I think. Thanks for your patience and listening through that. So we'll go ahead and have a more worship here, and I'll go ahead and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord, and uh, I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and minds, Lord, to how we can apply that to our lives this week, Lord God, and help us to keep our eyes on you, Jesus. And I pray that uh, you would just fully equip us for what this next upcoming week holds for us, Lord, that uh, 
you would be glorified through our lives, Lord, that our lives would be a burning sacrifice to you, Lord, that is acceptable, Lord God. I thank you for all that you do, Lord. I pray that you would anoint us with your spirit afresh and anew now, Lord God, and that you would uh, help us to walk in the spirit this upcoming week. In your name I pray, amen.